five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. Giving you things to think about every day, especially today. So we're going to talk about questions and answers today. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So let's get over to the let's get over to the news sort of. This is one of my favorite all-time commercials from the list of favorite all-time commercials from the drum. Top 100, I think it is. And for those of you who haven't seen it, well, just watch and you'll get you'll get what it's about. Here we go. Mr. Turtle, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? I never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. Okay, so you've got a crooked, you've got an honest consultant, the turtle, who tells him the answer. He never made it to the center. I have made it. I don't know how many licks. You know, usually you just stick it in your mouth and suck it. <laughs> but it's a perhaps a foolish question, right? So that the but the but the turtle gives him an honest answer. <clears throat> I don't know. I've never made it. And I've given a few honest answers to client questions that cost me the client. <laughs> and they went to someone else who took their money, which is what happens next. Next, he goes over to the owl. And the owl says, ah, let's test it, which is a better answer than most. And he licks it three times and then <laughs> bites it. So he gets a consulting fee out of the deal. And uh, But it does show you that you know, sometimes it's better to find out for yourself. Okay, so on that on that note, right? On that note, let's get let's get over out of let's get out of here. Okay, so so we're starting off with Pete Jackson, who says who says spam risk. I love that they put spam risk up there, and I don't even have to talk to him. That's really good. So Pete Jackson says. Let me see if I got this sourced right. PDF. Okay, I see it. Oh, I got to minimize that so I can see what I'm doing. Now I can see what I'm doing. See, there's my mouse now. Okay, so in advertising, there's actually such a thing as a bad question. Um, and I always like to look at the thing that where it says, uh, when somebody says there's no no question is a bad question, and I would add to that, and I'm not sure we can, but um, let's try this. Control T, ding, ding, ding. And I think you can put this in here. And we can say no question. No question is a bad question. Okay, we, we fixed that. Did you know I can do that to articles? I can if I want. Uh, I have a snazzy PDF tool, so no question is a bad question. A question unasked can be the worst question, right? That's the point here. Okay, but back here. So the point Pete's making is that oftentimes we ask eh, vague, poorly advised questions. Socrates, on the other hand, was just wicked with asking questions. 
And I've been sometimes accused of that too. Sometimes you just ask the right question and it opens the eyes for the client. Now, I don't limit it to the ad brief. It looks like my, 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 <laughs> for some reason, my thing is all fuzzy and I'll have to talk to the guys at, at uh, OBS because I've been using this thing for now like four years and it's always worked fine and now I've got a new version. It's dropping stuff. Anyway, so obviously there are bad questions and there are unasked questions. And he's talking about it in an ad brief. And he says, we all feel cozy because we don't ask the hard questions. We waltz through the meeting. And then when we get done, we don't ask, we don't know, the, we don't know what we're supposed to know. Uh what is the problem? For whom? Why is it a problem? Who is, is, who is this not a problem for? That was, that's maybe one of the most profound questions. You know, I remember working with Wyndham Hill and uh, they said, well, we, we got our customers profiled. We went to a fancy data company and uh, our customers are basically men 35 to 55, high education, high income. But when we rent those lists, it doesn't work. And of course, even if that, even if that was completely true, that uh, they, that 100% of their customers fit into that demographic profile, which is not not possible. But let's just say, there's there's about four times more of those people than they were selling CDs to in a year. So. There still were so if if you started with a uh, with with 100% of those people, there was only a one in four chance that they would like the music or buy the music for whatever reason. So uh, maybe their expectations were too high. I decided to challenge them to look at it from the other end of the pencil and say. Uh, I said, how many of these CD, little CD cases are you selling in a year? And they said, about $4 million. And I said, why don't we put a little card in it? Have you ever thought of that? Well, no. <laughs> and they were sending out little catalogs with a CD attached inside. Free CD. And I said, did you ever think of putting a sticker on the outside or something that says free sample music enclosed? And they said, well, we thought about it, but we were afraid people would steal them. Now, they're renting lists, so they didn't know who was getting them anyway. I said, And I don't think I said this, but it occurred to me. Sometimes I don't say every question. I said, you mean people who like to listen to music? <laughs> people who would actually listen to it, instead of getting a catalog, quickly glancing through it, it was thick enough you couldn't tell there was a CD in it. You know, and just throw it in trash and not realizing. Anyway... I don't remember that they fixed that part, but they did put a free catalog offer in the CDs, little card. And within six months, we got 600,000 requests for catalog, and we got a 15% response. So that's 90,000 90, new customers <laughs> off their CDs for no postage, no real cost. You know, it was cheaper than renting names and mailing them a catalog. So... Who is the who is this not a problem for? 
right? And the answer was all the rest of those people not in that profile. Okay, how do we know when we've solved it? Well, we knew when we got some sales. <laughs> and often we ask procedural questions like, who do we send the invoice to? And yesterday, Ritson or Monday, Ritson was talking about that. So what is the real problem? What is the real problem? Which is oftentimes a very difficult question to answer. <coughs> you know, do people want music in general? They can't find the right music? No. They What they can't find is other artists similar to the artists they like, probably. And we have a collection of artists that are all in the same genre. That was kind of the answer. But it's not a problem for a lot of people. Why is this a problem for your business? Well, they couldn't grow. And they said to me, we don't even, and we don't need to make any money. I said, well, I don't work with people who don't want to make any money. So <laughs> I reframed the, the, the problem. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes my breakfast gets back at me. So we'll fix that. Okay, and this broadcast is just a mess. I'm looking at what it looks like on the encoder. So we'll make sure I'll get you a link. We'll fix it. Okay, clarify before you move on. And this sounds a little more like a psychologist than it does like Socrates, I have to say. Socrates didn't ask questions like this much. Have I got this right? It sounds like, is this what I'm hearing? No. He just moved the, moved the questions along. Okay? He questioned their assumptions. And I'm going to include, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a couple of examples of how to ask questions in a Socratic manner. One is from Intel, Intel training program. And um, in it, a teacher asks a classroom about global warming. And uh, of course, leaves out significant questions that could be asked. And instead basically says, you know, how do you know there's global warming? Well, the news says so. Well, where does the news get it? From scientists. So what is it? What's the cause? Pollution. <laughs> you know, it's terrible. <laughs> but it is the way Socrates kind of did it. He kind of moved people along and, and changed their thinking. The Mino, Plato's Mino is famous because Socrates basically teaches Euclidean geometry, I think it was Euclidean, to a, a, a slave boy. He basically has this slave with no education go working through a proof of geometry. And uh, it's, ever, it's quite clever. Plato's Mino. Maybe I'll put that up as a post. It's not, it's not terribly long. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll find it for you. Anyway, uh, so Pete says... He was once briefed on an alcohol responsibility campaign encouraging people to drink less. Okay, that's the key, encouraging people to drink less. On the second slide were objectives. Increase sales volume by X. And so he asks about the incongruity of that. And uh, the, the agency employee said, replied good point replied the agency employee the client is reasoning that if people are convinced to drink less they'll want drinks to be higher quality and that isn't really it isn't you know it isn't stupid um 
It's hard to say. It is a little bit. Um, it's a little bit incongruous, I would say, and uh, it's a difficult. You know, the staggering mental gymnastics remind me how fearful we can be of clients, bosses, or stakeholders with power. But challenging assumptions helps everyone sharpen the problem. And uh, such as having to evidence. Having to evidence. Passive voice and making a noun into a verb. I always wonder about agency people and psychologists and the, and the hoops they jump through to try to express something fairly simple. Anyway, yeah. So, more key questions. How did you arrive at this assumption? If if we assume something different, would that change anything? <laughs> it seems like it would be easier to convince people that your drink was worth having, even if they were drinking less. At least flip it around that much. Okay, we are assuming Y here, and does that run counter to X evidence? It's <laughs> a good question. The highest form of human excellence is to question oneself. And as my rabbi used to say, the question of a wise man is half the answer. Okay. So lastly, I want to get into uh, Craig Huey has a little test here to offer. Um, offering a little something extra can go a long way. This is from his testing corner that he per puts out every week or two. Okay, and he says, everyone is attracted to the word free, right? But sometimes it takes a little more, a free and free, more than one free offer. So when I speak at conferences, I offer a free 15-minute consultation or a free subscription to my newsletter. I wonder which one does better. It's hard to say in a small sample set. Okay, so the test was, an online test was conducted to see who what would entice people to sign up for a free email newsletter? And, of course, we all know that free is rarely free. No such thing as a free lunch. In this case, you're giving them your email. And how many how many things have I given out my email for? Of course, I have probably dozens of emails, and I don't always give the one that I'm most likely to look at. <laughs> and I have another one that's mostly all spam, so I almost never look at. I mark them red. They think I opened it. Okay, but the first test was a landing page listed all the benefits of subscribing to a very valuable newsletter. So the cost of newsletters is I have to give you my email and then you can abuse me at your leisure. Okay, and take away mine. Test B, this was an offer for both a free subscription to the newsletter and a free special report. Because studies say that free special reports are free. <laughs> The second, and here's the important part, the second offer proved to be the clear winner generated a 55% higher response in signups. And that's the most important point. The most important point is to test it because sometimes if you give too much away, it also loses credibility and people wonder what you're up to. You know, I had a guy, he's written me a few times on LinkedIn. He said he has a box that looks like a router that continuously spits out $750 a week or something. Wouldn't you love that? I said, well, it depends on what it's doing. <laughs> well, he couldn't tell me, but he could tell me that it could make me a lot of money. Well, if you can't tell me, I'm not plugging it in. I have clients and I have data. And I can't just have weird boxes spitting out money. Sorry. <laughs> so he was offering too much. 
there's always a catch, maybe you should start with a catch. Okay. So have a great day. Like and share. Tomorrow we'll get to direct-to-consumer priciness. Bye-bye.